Ecclesiastes chapter 6. It's a very short chapter, but we're still going to have to cut it in half to, to really uh, dive into it and get it, you know. So Ecclesiastes chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Now, I want to remind you of the context because at the end of chapter 5, uh, we talked about the, the uselessness of, of religious activity. We talked about those who trust in all the wrong things. And then at the end of chapter 5, he said to focus on the joy of the Lord. In fact, the last verse of chapter 5 says, For he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with a joy in his heart. So we're going to keep that in mind, that for context in mind. And then we're also going to keep in mind our, our memory verse this week, which we've continued to talk about all the way through Ecclesiastes, and that's chapter 12, verse 13. The end of the matter, when all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So keep with those two verses in mind, let's read chapter 6, starting in verse 1, and we'll read through uh, verse 6. So Ecclesiastes chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it is up here behind me. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity, and it is a grievous, grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his life are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. And he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness is name, its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place. So he begins by talking about God giving us wealth. Now, I think that's important because he talked about that in verses 18 to 20, and here he says it again plainly, God gives wealth. Underlying everything that, that Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes is this idea that there is a life lived for earthly things under the sun, on earth, for earthly things, and there is a life lived for God. And so he's, he makes this separation, and he clearly shows us at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, he tells us God gives wealth. It is God to whom we owe our wealth. Now, you may think, and I've said before from this platform, that there are three things that we can easily identify that God gives us. Time, talent, treasure. It's a good Baptist alliteration, so you can remember it. Time, talent, and treasure. Now, you may think, no, I, I, I earned my money. The, 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 my treasure, I earned it. You did with the talent and time God gave you. So there is literally no way out of, of understanding that God gives us time, talent, and treasure. Because he gives them to us, we're responsible to him for how we use them. And we're responsible to him for how we waste them, our time, talent, and treasure. God gives us wealth. 
And he does so by giving us time, talent, and treasure. And he gives us the talent to make the treasure we need. He gives us time with our family. He gives us all of the good things that, that we have come from God. God gives wealth. So we can't forget that. We can't miss that Solomon is recognizing that. He's recognizing that, that God gives us what we have. So when he, when he talks about this underlying theme of there's a, a life apart from God on earth for earthly things and a life with God here, he's showing you life with God here means God's giving you things. God gives you time, talent, and treasure. He gives you wealth. And then Solomon talks about this man, and he actually calls it the evil. He calls it evil twice, as a matter of fact. He talks about this man who has everything he ever wanted. He has money, he has possessions, he has this huge family, all of which are <coughs> excuse me, signs of wealth in the Jewish community, in, in the culture of his day. These were all signs of, of tremendous wealth, social standing, and he has all this stuff, yet it is evil because he can't enjoy it. Now, evil is an interesting word all of its own. The Hebrew word is translated in a moral sense, like evil and wicked. It's also translated in, an, in a non-moral sense, like troubles, struggles, adversity. So we don't honestly know what this guy's trouble, adversity, or wickedness is. We don't know. But we are given a clue in verse 3. Look at verse 3. It says, his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. His soul is not satisfied with life goods, life's good things. He, is, uh, he said back in chapter 5 and verse 10, he said that the one who has money will not be satisfied with it. We talked last week about money never keeps its promise. Never. Money, does, money, money promises satisfaction. It promises all these things, and it never delivers it. We can have this life, the life that's, that's, that's described here, a life where we have everything we want and don't enjoy it. No joy, no satisfaction. That's the life this man is, is showing us. That's the life that, that Solomon says this man has. And Solomon goes so far as to say it would be better if this guy was never born. It would be better to have no life than to have a life of no satisfaction, no joy, meaningless, dissatisfied existence. He says it would be actually better for him never to have been born. So how do we make sure that we don't ever have this life? I think, it's, I think that the key is in finding satisfaction. We have to find satisfaction in, in what we have in who we are, in, in what God has given us. I, remind, I just reminded you, money promises satisfaction but never gives it. In fact, again, back in chapter 5, verse 10, he said that the, money, that the, the one who has money will never be satisfied with it. He tells us money doesn't keep its promise. It doesn't bring satisfaction. It doesn't bring security. It doesn't bring what we really strive for. Money makes all these promises and doesn't deliver, and neither does possessions. 
using your money to buy all the stuff does not bring satisfaction either. Now, you know this when you say it in your head. If I only had this, then I'd be satisfied. You know when you say it, it's a lie, don't you? Because there's going to be a new model. <laughs> there's going to be something better. There's going to be one that, that, that's just incrementally better than the one you have that you just bought, that you strive for for all this time. And so you're not going to find satisfaction in possession. Satisfaction isn't found in money. It's not found in wealth. It's not found in possessions. That's not where satisfaction comes from. It comes from joy. Remember again, Ecclesiastes 5.20, he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy in his heart. The joy of the Lord does not come from stuff. It comes from God. No other place. So if you are searching for satisfaction, searching for joy in anything other than God, you will be disappointed. You will have this life that's being described here. A life of dissatisfaction, of having everything you ever desired and being dissatisfied and miserable. That's the life he gives us. That's the life that, that Solomon shows us. Solomon even uses a stillborn child as an example. And he talks about it. Never, it, it never even sees the light. Now, this is a life that happens in heaven. This is a life that, that, that never sees pain or sorrow or, and never sees dissatisfaction, never sees betrayal. So I can understand how this is a better life. But what Solomon's saying is that this guy who has everything he ever desired is worse off than the life that never happened. That's a harsh statement. It's a harsh comparison. But it's true. It's true because think about a life of dissatisfaction. Think about never being satisfied with anything. As this says in verse 3, his soul is never satisfied with, with good, the good things of life. Think about having that life. That life is awful. It's miserable. That's the life that, that someone without God has. Because their God is money, or their God is possessions, or their God is power, or their God is position in, in, in the company. Their God is whatever, and so they are never satisfied. Never. That's a terrible life. It's a terrible life that, that even a stillborn child is better off than that. You can understand how he uses these, these two examples, these extreme examples of a man who lives and, and has everything and a child who never lives here. Extreme examples that life lived for wealth, for possessions, for even, even for a large family without God there's no satisfaction. In verse 3, he talks about no burial. And it's kind of a strange statement in here, and it's actually been understood a few different ways. I'll give you the three kind of main ideas that, it's been, that have been attributed to this. Some see it as a statement about the man's wealth, because an elaborate burial with many paid mourners and many friends and family and, 
and, and many people gathering for an elaborate burial, funeral, that's seen as, as wealth, that's seen as social status, that's seen as important in this culture. And, and if we're honest, it's kind of important in our culture too. This idea of having a lot of people sending you off. And so in, in saying he had no burial, he's saying he lost everything. His wealth, his status, his social standing, everything, even his family. So he's, it, it can be understood that way. Others have seen this, that the man actually lives forever. In fact, verse 6 even talks about him living thousands of years times two. So he lives forever. And, and think about this life of dissatisfaction and misery lived forever. That's, that's hell. That's what that is. That's hell. That's what hell looks like. <clears throat> so it's been understood that the man never dies. It's also been understood, the third explanation, is that the burial actually applies to the stillborn child. So he's essentially saying, even if it does not have a proper burial, I say a stillborn child is better off than he is. And I think that fits the context well, although none of the three are, are frankly wrong, because all three can fit the Hebrew, I think the last one makes the most sense to me. The idea that, that the stillborn child, even if it never has a burial, it's better off than the man who lives thousands of years and has no satisfaction. Meaningless, dissatisfied life. Because there's no amount of prosperity that can, that can give you a life of joy. There is no amount of family that can give you a life of joy. The life, a life of joy comes from God and nowhere else. He is the only source of joy. Verse, verse 20 of chapter 5 told us that, that God gives him the joy in his heart. You want a life of joy, God's the source. No other place. And it's so easy for us to, to get mixed up and understand joy coming from some other thing. Something, some dollar amount, some really anything else. God is the source of joy. And so joy comes when God gives it to you in your heart. Essentially, this guy is given the earnest desire of his heart. He's given everything he ever wanted. Solomon talks about that as well. All the way through the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who has everything he ever desired, he tries everything. And what conclusion does he come to? He comes to the conclusion that we keep reading. The end of the matter, when all is heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's, what, that's the, the conclusion Solomon comes to, that, that having tried everything else, having received everything else, Fear God and his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is what life is about. This guy received the earnest desire of his heart. Let me ask you, and I'm going to ask that you not answer this out loud. What if God gave you the earnest desire of your heart? What would that be? What would that look like? Because if the first thing when I ask that question that popped into your mind was some thing or some dollar amount, you need to study 
verses 1 through 6 in Ecclesiastes chapter 6 again this afternoon. Because that's the life you're looking for. That's, if that's the life you want to lead, that's the way to go. Our time, our talent, our treasure, it's given to us by God. And it cannot be taken for granted. Because taking it for granted leads us to no longer finding satisfaction. We have to remember it's a gift from God. So if God gave you the earnest desire of your heart, what would it be today? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and consider this question. If God gave you what you desire today, what would it be? And I'll say again, if it's possessions, if it's money, if it's uh, this thing or that thing, then read back through Ecclesiastes 6, 1 through 6. Is the earnest desire of your heart the joy of the Lord? Because you can have it today. Today can be the day. Maybe at, at this point you don't know the joy of the Lord because you don't know the Lord. You can this morning. It's as simple as a prayer, and you can follow along in your own words. Say, God, I, I know that I have sin in my life. I've said things wrong. I've done things wrong. I've thought things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I trust that Jesus came and died in my place on that cross. He paid my price for my sin. So I ask you to forgive me because of his finished work on the cross. I don't need to add anything to that. I simply need to accept it. I ask you to forgive me and come into my life. Give me the joy of the Lord in my heart. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, you need to let somebody know. Come and let me know. Elbow your neighbor. Let them know. Today, I received the the joy of the Lord. Maybe this morning you know Christ. But as you look at the last couple of weeks, you realize you're not living by the joy of the Lord. You're living for the earthly stuff, the temporal stuff, the stuff that won't matter. Will you take this moment to recommit yourself to living the joy of the Lord, living with God, not for earthly stuff. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for this reminder, Father, that, that everything that's important in this world is not important and should not be important to us. Keep us mindful of this man who had everything he wanted and lived a dissatisfied, meaningless life. Keep us mindful of the joy of the Lord in our hearts. We thank you and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.